beautiful. Welcome to Beauty Beyond Betrayal. Have you discovered your husband's been having an affair? Do you just want the pain to stop and be able to take a deep breath again? Do you find yourself up late at night googling how to save your marriage, heal from an affair? Do you wake up with the hope that this nightmare would end only to feel crushed and humiliated because your husband acts like the affair was really your fault and now you're left obsessing with where he is and if he's seeing her again? Hey, I'm Lisa. I too was devastated when I discovered my husband was having an affair. I too felt the pain would never end and wished he would just stop the affair and we could restore our marriage. I wanted the weight of the trauma to be lifted so I could breathe again and be able to have someone, anyone help me climb out of the dark, miry pit of despair so I could begin to heal and be confident in me again. But I kept telling myself, he won't stop seeing her. Must have been my fault. And this pain, it'll never go away. Until I found hope and healing in Christ, along with simple techniques that helped me to learn how to recover from the betrayal. In this podcast, you'll discover what betrayal trauma really is, learn simple techniques to heal and recover, and get biblical guidance to help you make the right choices as you heal from the affair so you can be free from the heartbreak and the pain and rise in confidence once again to be the woman God created you to be. So beautiful, grab your favorite latte or a glass of wine, snuggle up on the couch and focus on yourself for a few minutes. Let's dive into what it really means to rise up from the ashes of betrayal and loss into a life that you really desire. Well, welcome to the show, beautiful. I am so over the top excited to be bringing a very, very special guest to Beauty Beyond Betrayal today. We met on Instagram not long ago. I actually, I'll give you a little secret. I stalked her for a while because I loved her stuff so much. (laughs) And just the way she pours in to women when it comes to healing from betrayal trauma, she just became so near and dear to my heart. So I couldn't help myself but to just reach out to her and ask her to be a part of the show so that she could bring her wisdom, her guidance, and just share a little bit of her story. And just to give you some encouragement today, because I know many of you, especially during the holiday season, have struggled with finding out about your husband's affair, about the betrayal. We we know that it comes at the most inopportune times. And what do we do about it? Well, we're going to talk about some of that today on Beauty Beyond Betrayal. But before we get started, let me introduce this beauty to you today. Miss Kyleen is the CEO and founder of Phoenix Transformation Coaching. And she works as a functional diet diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She's also an NLP life coach, and she supports women who have experienced sexual betrayal trauma. She also helps her clients in a very unique way. It's a whole body approach that involves the physical, emotional, mental, and the spiritual aspect of the individual. Her work includes functional lab work, nutrition, lifestyle, emotional work, trauma work, and so much more. And she assists women in feeling more complete, grounded, and safe, independent, and confident in their health and in their bodies. And I don't know about you, but I think when we've gone through betrayal trauma, we could all use all of that and more. 
So beautiful. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lisa. I think just uh, full transparency. I think there was mutual stalking going on. (laughs) Social media. (laughs) You know, the betrayal trauma space is still so small. You know, there's only so many of us. And so it's, it's really cool to connect. I'm so glad that we did. So thank you so much for asking me to do this today. I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, you know, as we dive in, I would love for you to just you know, tell our audience a little bit about who you are and your family, because I always think it's so important, especially, you know, when we have been betrayed, we deal with a huge trust issue. And so when we have someone who, whether it's a a fellow woman who is speaking into our life, we need to know a little bit about them so that we can kind of establish a little bit of a trust pattern there. Wouldn't you agree? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So share a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your family. Sure. So let's see. Who the heck am I? Um, <laughs> besides the introduction that you gave me. Um, so I've been married for, I guess it's it, this year is coming up on 10 years and Discovery was uh, back right before year eight. So we've been together about 10 and or together about 12, married 10. And when, when we met, he had a son that was about seven or eight years old. So um, I always call him my son, not my stepson. He calls me mom and lived with us full time. So I'm a mom as well. And then I'm a, a, a dog mom and a cat mom. And I absolutely love um, learning and educating and teaching. And so I've gone through many iterations in, in being an entrepreneur as well and a business owner. And so, um, this, this is how I've most recently transitioned my coaching practice. And I think uh, you and probably a lot of other people listening, if they run their own businesses or practices, a lot of it just comes out of our own passions and experiences and the need that we see as we are going through something and how can we fill these gaps and things like that. So, so yeah, so my son, I was just telling you before uh, we hopped on the video, he is 18 now and he's going to West Point and he's uh, doing really great there. And so we went through that whole process this past summer of dropping him off and and doing all of that. And um, and now my husband is coming up on two full years in recovery. So super small snapshot of uh, who we are and what's going on. But uh that is so beautiful. And I I love the pictures that you post of you and your husband and your son. And I love the fact that it's like he is your son. You know, I grew up um, in a step family situation as well, but we were never steps. My dad yeah. is my dad. And, and for me, you know, I was his daughter. And so that's an important connection to have. And I think that that sets a precedent in your son's life as he moves forward. So kudos to you on that one as well. So, um, you know, you were, you were talking about, it's been about two years. So I really kind of want to dive into that in today's episode. So, you know, tell us a little bit about how you and your husband met, you know, you said you've been together 10 years, but you know, how did you meet and then kind of segue into, you know, how and when did you actually discover that he had betrayed you? Sure. So we actually met because of one of my best friends from high school. So, um, 
she, my husband moved into, he, he, he moved states because of his job. So he moved to Ohio where we live now and he moved into this townhome complex. And my best friend was a nanny for someone else that lived in that complex who had a daughter that was around Keegan's age. And so that mom and Patrick knew each other. And then my friend was nannying for that mom. (laughs) So, um, so they were all at dinner one day and my best friend goes, Hey, Patrick, what are you looking for in a woman? And then he proceeds to describe whatever it was that he described. And she goes, Oh my gosh, I have the perfect person for you. And she proceeds to pull up my Facebook, which at the time had a profile picture of me and my current boyfriend. (laughs) Oh, wow. So then, so then he goes, okay, well, that's great, but you know, clearly unavailable right now. And whatever reason, you know, she's my best friend. So I guess I'll just chalk it up to her knowing me really well. She was just like, that relationship is not going to be permanent. So don't worry about it. (laughs) So, um, sure enough, of course, I never knew until long after that this conversation had ever happened, but it was, I don't know, fairly from what I've been told, fairly soon after that, that we did break up. (laughs) So she she put it out into the universe. So, um, you know, then I'm going through introspection at this point, I had been divorced in my life. I dated some people and it's like, you know, what do I want in a guy? So I'm thinking through what were the patterns that I had? What were the similarities in these people? What did I like about these people? What did I not like maybe about these people? And I ended up sending her like this list of things that I wanted in a guy. And she goes, oh, I have the perfect person for you. <laughs> of course she did. Right. Yeah. So she starts like texting, hey, would you date an older guy? And I was like, no, not really. Would you want to date someone, um, you know, with a child? And I was like, oh, I don't really know. And she she was not, you know, willing to take these wishy-washy answers. So she starts manipulating me a little bit by sending me pictures. <laughs> oh, dangling the carrot. Yeah. Are you sure? So. So we connected on Facebook, we talked a little bit, and then, um, you know how like you, you, you talking and texting are two very different things Absolutely. And, and learning someone's personality is very different. So I think I made some comment to her about, you know, we may need to meet in real life, you know, I'm not sure I understand his humor or whatever. And so she goes, well, would you want to come to this party and meet him? And I'm over here thinking, okay, they're having a party and I will just go and meet this person. I find out, and I mean years, years later, that they created the party when I said yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) Totally designed for us to actually meet each other. And he knew that. I didn't know that. I just thought we were, I knew that we were meeting and that that was one purpose. But uh, I get there. He hasn't talked to me the whole night. (laughs) Great first impression. (laughs) I know, like maybe one sentence. It was not any conversation. I mean, it just wasn't. So anyway, really long story short, we did end up going on some dates after that. And um, when we when we were on our first like one-on-one alone date is when um, we really just couldn't stop talking and we just really hit it off. And it just like, it, it really seemed to fit. And I was like, okay, I really, really like this person. So, you know, in my perception of the world at the time, and for the first however many years of marriage that was, eight years, I really viewed it as this fairy tale romance. I loved him. He was on this super high pedestal. I viewed him as this just uh, incredibly kind person, full of integrity and character and honest, would never lie to me, would never consider. I had no um, 
red flags or hints of insecurity in the relationship. I had absolutely no cold feet going into the marriage or the ceremony, which is fair, you know, a little interesting since I had been divorced already. I was that confident in who he was as a person, our fit as a couple, my love for him, the depth of my love for him, our compatibility. And honestly, for all of our marriage, really up to that point of discovery, that's how I viewed him. I was, even if things weren't, you know, maybe perfect, um, you, you think, well, you know, time we've been together this long or, um, you know, whatever it is that you come up with in your mind, but I was never unhappy. I loved this person. We always had a great relationship. We got along incredibly well. We complimented each other really well. Um, it just, there was never any big issue in my mind. I got uh, diagnosed with cancer in 2019. We went through that. Um, process, you know, and I was coming through recovery. And I, I guess that would be about two years ish in into recovery at that point, when uh, I discovered that he was a sex addict. And the, the way I discovered that was, I was like, Hey, why don't we why don't we do some budgeting? You know, that might be a good idea, do some budgeting. So he had printed out um, all of our online statement charges onto a little spreadsheet. And again, I have no reason to mistrust him at this point. Nothing has ever gone, you know, quote unquote wrong in our relationship ever. He doesn't ogle women in public. There's just, I mean, there's literally no signs, right? So I see this as this really nice gesture of, you know, he's trying to make things nice and organized and simple. And I'm appreciative. (laughs) In reality, what he was doing was hiding the hundreds of charges that were on the credit card that I would have seen had I gone into the account. And so when we started doing this budgeting process, I was looking at all these recurring charges that we had for, you know, all these things that that you you sign up for and then forget to cancel, right? And so we started canceling all these. I was all excited, you know. And there was one particular charge that I knew about. It was like a fitness app. And I was trying to figure out how to cancel that. And it was a little confusing, couldn't figure it out. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe because it's an app, it was purchased in your app store. And so I was like, hey, let me have your phone. I went into his app store, scrolled down, and there were several previously deleted apps um, that I guess previously purchased and deleted that looked really inappropriate. I had no reason to mistrust what he would tell me up to that point. And so I was like, well, what is, what are these? These don't look nice. You know what, why are these here? And, um, he told me he had no idea why these were on his phone or where they came from. He, he completely denied, you know, downloading them or knowing what they were even really, or like how they got there. And, uh, I believed him in that moment, because I really had no reason not to, but it kind of, it just didn't make sense. I was like, man, that, that's a problem. Like if, if that's happening, like we need to know, should we contact like the phone provider? (laughs) In my mind, right. Maybe in my subconscious or whatever, there was something that didn't make sense. Yeah. And so there were um, some questions as I was trying to figure this out. Now this was back when, if you remember a couple of years ago, there was that conversation of so much censorship on social media. And so all of these different um, apps for chatting or texting privately were coming out, if you remember that. And so there were things like Telegram that people would download and say, hey, I don't want you to text me. I want you to use this app instead or whatever it was, different communication apps. And so some of them just looked like 
they might need that like chat apps. Right. And so that was sort of, I was trying to figure out like, what were these? Um, what did you think they were when you downloaded them? Why did you download them? And, um, you know what that mean? And, and it was at dinner, I think it was that night that things started to come out. So he, one of the things that kind of clued me in when all this happened was he, he verbally denied it, but his stress response in his body went absolutely through the roof. So we had a, a a chair that kind of moves. I was sitting in the chair. He was leaning over me and his heart was pounding so hard that the chair was moving. Oh, wow. I could feel it. And I called him on that. And I said, you know, um, that's not, that's not a normal response for somebody who's telling the truth. And, um, he said, well, I just don't, uh, I don't want to be accused of something that I didn't do because I know how you feel about that. And I know that essentially that would be the end of our relationship is what he was saying. And, um, so I don't want to be accused of something that I didn't do. And I would hate for you, you know, all the, all of those comments. Right. So then we, we ended up at dinner that night and I had a couple more questions and eventually little truths started to come out. And what came out over dinner was, I was like, well, how are these advertised? You know, that you're downloading them, finding out they're not what you think they are and whatever. And it sort of came out that they were dating apps, which in, in the context, Lisa, of what you and I know, yeah, yeah that's a mild a mild thing, right? Right, right. And, and I actually, I want to clarify for anyone listening, like if your husband was on dating apps, it's not mild. But what I'm saying is like in his mind, yeah. he was telling me this tiny truth to protect me from what he considered or himself, right? From what was like so huge. And so that, that was like this tiny little thread, right? That wasn't even really true. And so what I left dinner thinking was that he had downloaded dating apps, considered reaching out to women, didn't reach out to them. And that was enough for me to go. You consider, you thought about, you had the thought about cheating on me. And I had to excuse myself from dinner and proceed to go into the parking lot and have a panic attack and called my friend and kind of was like, what the heck is happening? You know, he's thought about cheating on me. And at that point, I didn't even think he had done anything other than that. How long after you had dinner that night was it before you actually uncovered the truth? Oh, that's uh, about 24 hours. Literally 24 hours later, the truth was uncovered. Yeah, he started. We had an interesting and I don't think very common um, discovery process. It wasn't all me discovering. It was a combination of me discovering and him confessing. So the next day, because he really hated this and wanted to get out of it and had tried to stop a lot. And so the next day he started to feel pressure about letting me know what was really true. And again, the first confession was only partial truth. He goes, you know, uh, the past six months, right? That was his timeline at the beginning. The past six months, uh, porn has really been calling to me and I don't understand why. And this man was on the bed sitting next to me in tears. I mean, he was just absolute distraught, which I don't know if I've ever seen him like that ever. And so I am kind of shocked, like, what the heck is happening? You know, I'm horrified by the information, first of all. And then I'm also really worried about him. And so he starts to confess about how difficult the past six months have been and like what's been going on. And then I think it was either maybe later than that day, he just felt super convicted and was like, I really have to tell you the truth, truth. And so it was within the first two, maybe three days that I learned that 
He was a cyber sex addict, was engaging with real women in live time. The only difference is that it was behind a screen. He was communicating with them, engaging in different ways. Um, there was a lot of money involved. And um, over time, probably the first couple weeks to couple months through him sharing and disclosing and then me also doing a lot of research and kind of getting the evidence, um, just figuring out how long it had been going on as well. And, and honestly, it had started before we were even together. And then um, he thinks that he was in like a purge cycle when uh, heard part of the cycle when we got together and got married. So the first couple of years, he thinks he was pretty uh, non-active in it, but then it continued and came back and progressed and it was really, really bad by the time, by the time I discovered it. So when you had that conversation, the, the entire truth came flooding out. What was that like for you? Hmm. Uh, when we go through this, I don't think words really encompass the, um, the amount and the intensity of the feelings that you feel. So when I say shock, <laughs> when you use words like trauma, they just, they don't hit hard enough. Exactly. I, I was in an, an incredible amount of shock. And I, you know, it's not like we were having what I consider to be any level of problems in the relationship. You know, I didn't notice that anything was wrong. Um, I didn't see any red flags. I didn't understand how this, you know, and I'm sure every woman feels like this, how could this be going on so long without me knowing um, at all and having no indication? And, and it's not like I never had these conversations, you know, I had these conversations with him about pornography um, before we even got married. I had so many conversations that just come up through life, you know, as we were married over the, over the time that we were together about these different situations and about cheating and your feelings on it and about pornography and all this kind of stuff. And, um, every single time would be a lie in from him that I didn't know was a lie, right. That it's not an issue for him. It's never been an issue for him, all this kind of stuff. So I was absolutely floored. I mean, I, I could not blindsided. I was, and then, you know, there's a level of naivety, right? When you are um, not in that world, not exposed to that world, which, you know, honestly, I wish was everybody. Um, but there's a shock just to the discovery of what's out there, right? Like when I learned that it's not just, you know, you think porn is just, oh, well, you have these pre-recorded videos or you have these still photos or you have a certain, you have a certain concept in your mind of what it is. And then you discover what it really is and how horrific it is. And then you're like, oh, there's actually, um, cyber sex is a version of this, which is like real people that you're engaging with real people that took it to a different level. So there is just extreme shock, um, massive amounts of trauma. I had so many panic attacks. I think I had like three the first couple months. Um, it ended up just destroying my nervous system the first year while I was processing everything. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, it, and, it's, and it steals um, an innocence that you have because now you're not innocent of that knowledge anymore because now you've been exposed to it because now you've it's been revealed to you. Like you said, there's a horrific side to this that you never would have dreamed or imagined. So it steals the innocence away from you as well. And and I know that, um, 
you know, for any woman that's been betrayed, you know, like you said, the words, words can't really even describe the feeling of discovery. And the fact that you look at it all of a sudden and go, have I really been living a lie my entire marriage? Mm-hmm. And it kind of blows your world apart in a sense. Oh, absolutely. That was, the, um, I think one of the biggest things is I always compare it to the Truman show. The discovery is when the light, the light fall out of the sky and you realize you begin to realize that your entire relationship was uh, a, a lie. We actually had a conversation literally just one or two days ago. It was very recently. Um, because this year, if we go by the day that we got married, will be our 10 year anniversary. And you, you have these conversations about, okay, how do you, how do you man celebrate the passing of time now when after you've been betrayed, you view a lot of times you view that part of your relationship as done. So that was all under betrayal. That was all lies and deceit and manipulation. I asked you questions before we got married. So I kind of feel like marrying you was not with full consent because I didn't really know who you were because you weren't honest. Right. So I kind of feel like that's null and void. Right. So I don't really want to celebrate that day because I don't feel like it's total truth. Right. So you go through all of those emotions of everything in our relationship was a lie and everything was under that umbrella of betrayal and deceit. And I know that on his side of it, he knows what was true and what wasn't right. He knows the little pockets, but you don't. And, and so that, that is very difficult to kind of navigate, you know, what do you do after that? How do you view your relationship and kind of processing all of that? But when when you go through discovery and you go through the shock process over the first several months, mine lasted, I think shock lasted for me about four months. It was a long, it was a long time. <laughs> it was, it was a big shock for me. I just didn't understand how he could be one way externally and another way secretly. It did not make sense to me um, how he could be the same person with what I was learning. It just blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. And then, it, and then it does, it makes you question everything you have done in terms of relating to this person in the past. And I believe it also affects you when it comes to self-trust, because you look at yourself and go, why didn't I see this? How could I not have seen this? Were there red flags that I missed? So all of a sudden we turn within and go, can I even trust my own judgment anymore? Right? So when you, when you got to this point and discovery, you're in shock and you're dealing with all of these struggles at this point, did you want to save your marriage? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a, that's such a good, so, well, I think there's two answers to that. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to save their marriage to some extent, right? You have this little idea of, of what, what happens if you get divorced or, you know, is it possible to recover? Ultimately, what I came to, because I we were very lucky to be pointed in really solid educational direction very early on. So we were getting connected to really amazing resources like week one, like within a few days. It was amazing. Because of that, I was being flooded with education around addiction, education around trauma and betrayal and um, resources for both of us. And I was willing to give it time to see what would happen because I had this idea that 
I really liked him as a person. And if he could overcome this part of himself that we, we had what I consider to be a good relationship before, could it be better if this was gone? So there was that sort of in the back of my mind, but ultimately through the process, I was like, you know what? I, it's not about saving the marriage. It's about his recovery and my recovery. And if he can recover and I can recover, and sometimes those things don't both happen, but if he can recover and I can recover, then we might be able to recover our relationship. So he dove all the way into the deep end, hundred percent, did every single thing that anyone told him to do during the recovery process that would help him stay in recovery and get there and do all of the deep work that's underneath of that, of that. And then I also jumped into recovery and started working on the emotional aspects and the insecurities and the fears and the trauma and all of those things that come with it. And then ultimately, eventually I did get to a point where I was like, okay, because I kind of, I don't know how you felt, but I kind of felt like for a while, like we were not in a relationship. I know we were like legally, we were still married. Right. But I kind of felt like all of that was dissolved. And now I'm just sort of sitting back, seeing what's going to happen while I go through this process. And then as we went through it, I kind of eventually felt like, okay, we're sort of like committed to each other again. Okay. Now we're back in a relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a process. It was definitely a process, even though legally we were married the whole time, but Uh, But yeah, my goal was really that he recovers, I recover, and then we'll see what happens. And I think that's an important thing for each of you women who are listening to hone in on is that it is so crucial that you do your individual hard work on recovery, not to sit around and say, well, if the marriage gets better, then I'll get better. Because that's not the truth. You have to individually work on your own healing process to work through recovery. And then if the marriage is to move forward, then so does he. It is individualized so that eventually you can come back together. And I know a lot of women who want to immediately, I want to save the marriage at all costs. I'll change. I'll do whatever. And they're taking it all upon themselves to fix him, fix the relationship and not do their own healing work. And I would love for you to just really quick just share what you did to begin your healing process from that trauma. Mm. So I'm so glad that you said that the way that you did, because I think it is so important that we, we, you will never be able to change your spouse. Yeah. It has to come from him. And ultimately if you spend your time doing that, you're not going to be happy. If you choose, but here's the truth is that if you focus on your own healing work and whether you end up with him or without him, you will be happy. Yeah. That's why that's so important is because you have to get into that authentic place of, of who you are and what your values are. And if he rises to meet that awesome. And if he doesn't, you'll still be good because you've done the work. So part of um, what I did uh, to do that is I spent about a year in CSAT trauma therapy plus uh, EMDR. I did a ton of EMDR. Uh, I think from what I've heard, maybe more than most. <laughs> I, so, went through, I went through seven months of EMDR. Well, okay. So maybe that's a, yeah, that's huge. That's amazing. I did. So, 
I think it's so important um, because that works on your subconscious and connecting the different parts of your brain to actually deal with the underlying emotions and wounds. Um, so I did a lot of work with a CSAT, which actually is the certified sex addiction therapist, which people are like, well, why do you go to a sex addiction therapist when you're the betrayal person? Well, because they work so frequently with sex addicts that they also are usually the most educated on the trauma aspect of the betrayal as well. Although, um, you know, I think it's what I'm finding is you have to make sure on an individual basis who you're working with. That's kind of how I find, because there's also coaches out there. There's also, um, you know, different, yeah, certifications and all this kind of stuff, but that's who I worked with. We actually were very lucky that in our area, they had really excellent CSATs that also did EMDR and also happened to uh, have a faith background. So it was a kind of a win-win, which is very, I think, an unusual triple uh, combination. (laughs) So so I did that. um, And then we also had, and I really think this is important, tremendous amounts of communication. I would share my thoughts and feelings openly And over time, as he went through the recovery process, he began to identify his emotions and communicate more. And we would kind of work through things. And so I, I reason I think that's really important is because I see women not doing this a lot. They feel like they're not allowed for some reason to talk about how they're feeling um, as if it's going to somehow hinder their husband's recovery process or like it's their, their feelings are invalid around this or what you are allowed to feel angry. You're allowed to feel mad. You're allowed to feel sad. You're allowed to express all of those emotions. And to be honest, they need to know that this is how you're feeling. Like they need to know the depth that their actions have hurt you and the impact that it's had on your life. Now there are, um, there are, more healthy ways and more unhealthy ways to do this. Right. But but I think communication is just absolutely important. So I was doing trauma therapy. I was doing EMDR. We had incredible um, amounts of communication constantly. And then I also learned what I now use in my practice, which is subconscious reprogramming. And this works a lot on the subconscious and similar to EMDR, it what what I do now and what I did uh, as I was going through it was release negative beliefs, um, release negative emotions, integrate conflicting parts. Uh, so it really helps you deal with some real deep level root stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you were talking about communication and women feeling as though they can't express their feelings and can't talk about it. And I know for me, I've had multiple conversations with some of my clients that get to the point and say, you know, when should when should I talk about it? Or, you know, when should I never talk about it again? And, you know, I'm being told that if I say something that it could cause him to relapse. Or, and I think there's this miscommunication from, unfortunately, from friends and clergy and others that is saying, oh, well, if you're going to, if you're going to say too much, it's going to hinder him and it's going to mess it up. And I, I think we're, we're putting out the wrong message to women and we're hindering their recovery at a deep level. And we are actually taking away the voice. And and I know for a lot of my clients, one of the very first things that I will hear is they'll say, I feel like my throat is always closed up. And I'm like, 
you're not expressing your voice, right? So can I tell you something about that? So in 2019, I had Hodgkin's. There was a uh, tumor in right next to my throat by my clavicle on my right side. And this is before I knew anything about betrayal or anything that was going on in my marriage at that time. And I knew enough about emotions and energy to kind of consider the idea that this was stuck energy. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I have a hard time speaking my voice. And I was so convinced over time that that is partially what contributed to that development of the disease in that way that it manifested in that way in my body. And I think that, you know, is so huge as to why dealing with those limiting decisions and beliefs about why don't we feel okay expressing ourselves and safe that, I mean, safety is a huge thing, right? Why, why don't we feel safe to express ourselves and then being able to deal with that and process that. So, so now we can, I mean, look at my platform now, I know, I'm right? speaking my voice, you know, <laughs> I think I'm sharing my truth. <laughs> it is so true. And, and, you know, I know that I had gone through a very severe trauma at the age of 40 and within six months had developed um, Hashimoto's. And, and my throat was swollen and my thyroid was swollen and all of this stuff in the voice and the throat. And, and I, and, and looking back on it, I'm like, oh, okay. And so, you know, that's the one thing that I would love for all of the listeners to hear is don't feel like you cannot communicate. Communication is key. Having your voice is key. You have to be able to let them know the impact of the trauma that has been placed upon you. This is a part of your healing process. And so if you are being told not to, then recognize that those who who are telling you this are not your safe people right now. And you need to find the people in your life who are safe people, who are going to encourage your recovery, encourage speaking your voice and communicating. And so um, the next thing I want to ask you, though, is, you know, here you are, you're moving forward. And now it's like, how do you rebuild trust? (laughs) Right. That's a million dollar question, right? (laughs) every, Every therapist um, that deals with betrayal trauma has probably had a client sit on the couch and be like, how will I ever trust him again? Right? <laughs> like, that is the question. It is the question. Uh, I think that is always an ever evolving thing after betrayal, right? Is that you're constantly improving and building on that and reestablishing trust. And it's the thing is <clears throat> that in order for trust to be built, you just use such a crucial word, word safety. There has to be safety in the relationship. So when someone is talking about rebuilding trust and they're like three to six months in and they're not really sure where their husband is in recovery, like, no, you're not going to have trust at that point. Trust, it, it requires a significant amount of consistency and time, a significant amount. And you have to have both of those together. He has to be consistent and there has to be a significant amount of time for you to begin building trust. He's got to show you. So Some of the things that helped us to begin building this process back up, you know, as you know, from ground zero, uh, I I established very, very clear boundaries. So I was very clear on those um, and what, you know, what was required essentially to stay in relationship with me after, you know, he destroyed it. So you blow it up, 
then this is what's required to stay in relationship with me. Um, he respected all of them. Mm. That was huge. There was no, there, there was no pushback for what I needed to feel safe. And so that foundation of safety was getting established very early on because I knew that I could communicate what I needed. I knew that he would respect it and value it and that we would continue talking as we progress. I, I would be in communication with where he is on his journey. He would volunteer information about what he's learning, about his therapy sessions, about his groups, all this kind of stuff. So I would really get to observe as this time progressed, that he was doing all of the homework, that he would journal every single day, that he would go to all of his sessions, that he would participate in all of the steps. And then, um, like I said, a lot, a lot of communication too. So I think all of those, safety being number one, and then time and consistency, all of those sort of built it up over time. And then you also share, you have both, and, and both of you together have shared very publicly and locally about uh polygraph oh yeah yes i'm glad you brought that up actually um i should have that in the list so that is huge because um so many women are like i don't know about doing a polygraph and <laughs> there's so many thoughts about this and i get it because you know what we think about polygraphs is what we see in the movies right but it's it's actually in the betrayal and addiction community, super, super common and highly, highly recommended. And the reason is, if you don't have that, there may always be something in the back of your mind that says, you know, I trusted him before. I see that he's doing all of this, but I was lied to before. What if he just got better at lying to me? You know, and a polygraph really kind of takes that off the table so that you can start trusting yourself and then what you're seeing again in his behavior. So there's sort of a duality to it, right? Because he's not really going to express the fruits of recovery that are really true unless he's in recovery. Like it would be really hard for somebody to express true fruits of recovery consistently if they weren't in it. And they've destroyed that part of you that that feels really okay trusting that to such an extent because of their behavior that having a polygraph is like it's just so helpful so we did a polygraph after disclosure that they or sorry right before therapeutic disclosure so that i knew that what he was including in the disclosure was true and also to kind of validate some of the scarier stuff that i kind of felt like were deal breakers for me so we i got information on that from the polygraph and then I, it was about six months after that, at the end of the year, we did another one. And now he just does one annually. So he does it once a year. And it's sort of very broad questions where it's like, you know, kind of covers like, hey, hey, have has anything happened since the last polygraph, basically. And, and he is the one that is just so willing to do this, which I think is <laughs> completely amazing. He's very vocal about it. And, and I love how he said it makes him feel good to yeah. be able to go through that process of accountability and just still showing you that, you know, he's still in full recovery and which leads me to, and you and I've had this conversation, you know, I, I, there's this, there's this dual side of a conversation that, Oh, do you really believe that someone can recover from sexual addiction? Do you really believe that, you know, someone can change? Is it once a cheater, always a cheater, you know, you and I've had this discussion, but let's share this with listeners. Like, let's talk about this. Do I believe that 
uh, someone can truly recover, like actually recover or yes. that they'll, or that they'll relapse. Um, yeah, I believe that they can absolutely recover without relapsing. I believe it's, and I think that's a huge message because what you hear is exactly what she said. Once a cheater, always a cheater. And and with porn too, it, there's this whole message out there that he wanted to do it. So he's going to do it again. Because the only reason he's stopping is because you're making him or you're controlling him, right? And it's such garbage. It is such garbage. When these men are in addiction, they hate what they're doing. They have so much shame and guilt. They have all of these negative beliefs about themselves and they absolutely hate it. So yeah, there are people out there that don't have any guilt or shame. Guess what? It's not an addiction. Okay. It's just bad behavior. But for these people that are in an addiction, absolutely hate it. Can they get into recovery? A hundred percent. And the way that they do that is by doing all the tools and the resources that are provided through to get into sobriety, but then doing the deeper emotional work to deal with the reasons that they were in there in the first place. Because all it is, is self-medicating emotional wounds and traumas that these people have um, uh, had in life. And it's just like any other compulsive activity that people will engage in to self-medicate pain. And this is just their version of that because at some point they were exposed to it and recognized that it would give them the dopamine hit. And then, you know, the cycle began. So there's like a direct correlation with the amount uh, or significance of trauma and emotional pain in someone's life and their uh, propensity to uh, have an addiction. And I think that's so important to hear because, you know, a a lot of times people are just like, well, if they're an addict with it, they're going to end up relapsing. And I just, I don't believe that. I'm the same as you. I just don't believe that. I also equate the same thing with, you know, someone who's had an affair. It's that dopamine rush of that dual life there. It's hidden. It's the rush. It's the high. And once it's been discovered, and then I call it the infidelity bubble that they're in, once that bursts and the reality of it comes out and they recognize the impact and everything that has happened, there is a guilt and a shame and everything that's associated with it. That's why it's so vitally important that they go through their own recovery as well. And we always, you know, I know that this, this podcast is for women who have been betrayed, but at the same time, um, I also think that it's very important for every woman to hear that if your spouse has really come to a point of, you know, asking for forgiveness, seeking redemption and, and seeking to fully recover, that it is quite possible for him to do so and to go on and have a better relationship than you had before. Yeah, I think if they're willing to do the work, it's totally possible. And I think the reason that it's so commonly thought of as relapse is inevitable is because people focus so much on behaviors or the pattern or the habit, and they're not doing the deeper stuff. What got you into that? What emotion brings up the fact that you feel like you need to self-medicate? If, if you don't know what those are, like that's a huge, uh, for women out there that are going through this and maybe their husbands are trying to go to therapy and do all these things, a great sign of someone that's in recovery is he's able to kind of walk you through that process. 
What were the emotions that led to the behaviors? What was the process for me? How did I address it now that I've gone through, you know, this trauma therapy or this modality or this group or whatever? What are the new ways that I deal with this emotion? You know, uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, the things that, you know, groups and therapists and stuff recommend of reaching out before it becomes an issue, right? If you notice that you're not feeling so good that day, um, recovery has a lot to do with them beginning to notice, identify and manage their own emotions and reach out for support before it becomes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And, and so when they can actually walk you through, these are the lies that I had about myself. Like I was unlovable. I was unworthy because of this experience that I had in my life. And that led me to this behavior. And these were my patterns. And now those patterns are broken and I've replaced it with these positive habits and I've dealt with this trauma. And these are the emotional wounds that I've now healed because of X, Y, Z. When they can have a conversation like that with you, you know, they've done some of the deep work. Oh, that's beautiful. I love how you just explained that. And I hope the listeners have, I hope you heard her. Because that was beautifully said. It really was. Well, I would love for you to, you know, just as we kind of land the plane today, I would love for you to share one thing with the women who are listening today. You know, if their husband is, they they have found out recently that he is just uh, dealing with a pornography addiction, a word of hope, encouragement, what, you know, something that you can give them as a lifeline, I would love for you to share with them. I would say that recovery is possible and it's not your fault. Mm, Please say that again. Please say that again. Recovery is possible and it's not your fault. So one of the things that we hear a lot is if anybody shares their story, if it's with your parents or your friends or someone at church or whatever, there's so many situations where someone will go, well, what did you do to contribute to this? Or what did you not do? Right. And, and that's just such a lack of education around addiction, around pornography use, around um, marriage and betrayal and trauma and, and all of the things that we've been talking about. So if I could just like look at someone in the eye and say, this is not your fault. You didn't do anything to drive him into addiction. Nothing. I it, I don't really care if you guys even argued every day of your relationship. His addiction is not your fault. Okay. Now there might be some marriage problems to work on, right? Yeah. But, but the his behavior is not your, your responsibility. His behavior is his responsibility. Just like his recovery is his responsibility, your recovery is your responsibility, but you are not, it is not your fault that he did this. You did nothing to drive him to it. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person or a woman or a wife or any of those things. And I believe that you beautiful needed to hear that. You really needed to hear that today because some of you are just so frozen with the fact that what did I do to cause this? And that one statement about it is not your fault is your freeing statement today. So before we leave today, we have a a beautiful free download for you. And I would love for you to share with our listeners what it is going to be. The link is going to be below in the show notes, um, but share with them about this free gift that you have for them today. Yeah. So it's, it's called, I just went all out when I decided to start talking about this. I was like, no holes barred. Okay. So 
Um, I created a, a PDF that's called 10 things most churches won't tell you when your husband's looking at pornography. And so it really goes through everything you do need to know. Okay. Because so often when you go to a church counselor, they are not educated in these things. They, they accidentally say things that are hurtful to you. They accidentally say things that, um, you know, hinder your healing that can be more traumatic and, very, very rarely do they actually give your husband any addiction resources or recovery resources. And so I'm just kind of walking you through the realities of what's happening and walking you through some of the terminology that you can know. And um, so that you can kind of understand um, the truth of the situation that you've just found yourself in. Thank you so much. And I know that every one of the listeners are just going to be so excited to receive this. And if you are presently struggling with betrayal trauma because you found out that your husband has been addicted to pornography uh, whenever that was, whether it was 10 years ago or whether it was just during the holiday season. And you really need someone who has not just journeyed this, but knows how to help address it on your recovery. Then below in the show notes, I have her IG link as well. You can find Miss Colleen there and please, please follow her there. Uh, she has great, great material over there for you to help you in your struggles. Thank you so much for being a part of today. You have just been such a blessing to me. Again, your story has inspired me. Um, you know, we we develop heroes in this niche, <laughs> do we not? Because like you said, it's a small one, but yet those of us who who have decided to um, use the trauma and use the pain for a significant purpose to set other women free. We're doing that and we're banding together. And I'm so grateful that I found you. Thank you, Lisa. I could say the same about you. Just thank you for everything you're doing for the community and all the resources you put out there. I appreciate it so much. All right, ladies, thank you for joining us on this episode today. Make sure to stay tuned for Friday's episode. It's going to be a good one. Remember, I'm cheering you on and make sure to love God, to live your life passionately. And in the midst of any circumstance, always choose joy. Bye, beautiful. Thanks for stopping by today and spending a little while with me. I hope you enjoyed today's show and found hope, healing, and encouragement. Please remember to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can even screenshot this episode and share it on IG or Facebook stories. This is how we get the message of hope and healing out to all women who are in the midst of betrayal and loss. If you're ready to move out of the devastation of betrayal and take the next step in your healing, make sure to reach out to me and schedule your breakthrough coaching call today. Until next time, love God, live your life passionately, and always choose joy in the midst of any circumstance that you may face. Cheers to you, beautiful.